All right, here we go. Welcome everybody to Bobby Talks. Dot dot dot. Those dots are there for a reason. That lets you know there's always more to the story. As you know the drill, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Robert Gifford. I'm sitting here today with the boys are back in town, my friend. It's been a while. Uh, the one and only, the only critic, Nate Adams. Nate, welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to glad to be back in the ring. You know, it's been a it's been a minute. I don't think we've talked about movies since last summer, really. I think I went back and listened. I think the last movie we discussed was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Because right. we went on that uh, screener, or what, what do you guys call it in your world? We went to a screening. Yeah. Okay, we went to a screening, yeah, yeah. and you took me up to Novi, and that was a pretty... Uh, yeah, we got, what did we see? We saw it in there, like, the biggest screen in Michigan, I think, is what it was. That's phenomenal, too, because I, and I've been telling people about that screen. I didn't even know it existed. I forget what they call They have a name for it, and I don't is know. It, it's e- like... The, not an IMAX. It's like a... EMAX. Okay. It's the biggest EMAX screen, or it, but it's like, it's just the biggest screen in Michigan. Let's just put it that way. They okay. had us, and of course, for the new Quentin Tarantino movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, they're going to put you in the biggest theater and, and deservingly so. That's the way it should be. Right, um, right, right. But it's hard to believe, man, that it's been a full year since you and I have sat down and talked movies. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've been following you on this Picks and Pans podcast. For those of you that don't know, my man has started his own podcast since then. Um, and now you're, what, eight episodes deep? Yeah, we've been, since like March, we've been plowing them out. So uh, this week we didn't have an episode because of the holiday and uh, just because I was moving. A lot of things going on in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Moving so, is a good so thing. I, we were going to – movies that we were going to talk about last week or we're going to talk about this week. So okay, okay. The beat next week. So is this show – is it – I haven't caught all of them. Is it always have you and your friend uh, Matthew Porter? Yeah, Matthew and, – and Matthew is just so – he's so um, you know willing to – because like I uh, I pick the films every week, that the new things that are coming out. Sure. And, um, you know, it's hard to find somebody that wants to dedicate that time because, you know, three or four movies in a week, is, you know, it's a lot. I probably watch – today I was looking at my – I've seen 90 movies, new movies this year. You watched 90, 90 new movies. 2020 releases on top of uh, – I did this thing called the quarantine catch-up, which I might have to start bringing back because yeah. uh, we're probably going to go into another lockdown. Um, but, yeah, 90 releases. And so I see, like, on average four or five, six movies a week. And so, so like he's just so willing to do it. So that's why it's like you know I I, I I'm gonna probably get more people in the rotation. But um, no, I, I get yeah. totally get it. I understand. I think uh, we were talking off camera a little bit about. I, I really like the back and forth you guys have. Um, you bring the passion to it, uh, and as well as your knowledge of this, the, the you know the the industry. You're credible with uh, your takes. I think your takes are fair. Um, I don't agree with every single one that you have, but yeah, that's what yeah. makes critics critics, and that's what yeah. makes fans fans. Um, Everyone's uh, entitled to their opinion, right? Yeah, Absolutely. and I, I want to show some love to the, your co-host there because I think uh, at least on camera here, I think he does a really good job of. Uh, it sounds really good on the ears. He's, so. He, he um, I, I'm kind of more like I said, the passion one. I get more like obsessive and yeah. manic about things, and he. He kind of keeps me grounded a little bit. Sure. But we also have that uh, relationship where I can just insult him about something <laughs> and it's not weird. Um, and I've actually, and I've, I don't know if you've listened to, but I, I don't know if it's also because of the quarantine, but like I've been like liking a lot of movies. Okay. And, and he's just been not. And I'm just like, Ugh. is it because you're giving, you mean a lot of new movies? Or? Yeah, I've just been like, and I went through my, my Rotten Tomatoes page and I was just like, man, I've been giving a lot of positive reviews lately. Uh, minus Artemis Fowl, which came out like, two weeks ago. <laughs> well, no, bad. Th- there was two movies like back to back. You're like, this is the worst movie you'll see all year. And then you're like, Check that. This is the worst movie you'll see on it was, the, it was that Kevin Bacon movie. Oh, yeah. You should have left or something. Yeah, like I saw Artemis Follow the week before, and then the next week I saw that, and it was like two back-to-back <laughs> just terrible, terrible it, films. You're going to have those, especially uh, 
I told you, man, Kevin Bacon, he's got a quota to keep up. He's got to be, a, he's got to keep that six degrees of separation going. Yeah. He's got to be in everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, it's interesting because you and I did this podcast that we tried to do last year called Keep It Simple Stupid, right? Yeah. And uh, I got a lot of great feedback. Everybody's seen the, I, of the seven, eight episodes that I did, you were on three of them. And of the three that we did, people seem to enjoy those the most. So I, I'm happy oh, that you're well, back, man. You. I'm glad people uh, enjoy listening to you. You got yeah. to be following too. I, I like what you're doing too. Don't undermine what you're doing. Uh, you were having real, you're having real conversations on this podcast. I mean, I'm I'm living off in a fantasy land talking about new movies that are coming out, which is great. But you're actually you're having city council members coming in. Yeah, you're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement with police officers. So but, hey, you're doing a service too. Yeah, but you know, and I appreciate that. But here's the thing that what I uh, what I enjoy about um, you know what what you've been doing is that. Not only did you do a quarantine catch-up, which if you guys don't know, you can do the hashtag quarantine catch-up with him. And it just basically is, since we have nothing but downtime or had nothing but downtime, it was let's play catch-up on all of the films that uh, you haven't seen that you've always wanted to see during your time. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up. Yeah, please do. I, uh, I I couldn't believe some of the names you were giving me of films that you've never seen. Yeah, it was uh, mind-boggling to me, too. It's just funny because you everybody has those skeletons in their closet. Sure, yeah. And then it's just like, as soon as I started watching one movie, I would look up this director and I would look up this actor and then I'd pull up the list and I'd just realize, oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. And then just- Would you write them down so that you remember to go back to them or would uh, you just- Yeah, so I have a watch list that I add it to. Okay. Um, and let's see, the quarantine catch-up, 82 films I logged. Oh, that's incredible. Over, you know, two months. And then, like, Give there's three or four names so people can be like, how uh, could you never seen it? The Princess that? Bride. Yep, never, crazy. Never had seen it. Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Never seen it. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey I watched for the first time. <laughs> Braveheart. The Exorcist, uh, Jaws, A Clockwork Orange, Singing mm. in the Rain, Deliverance. I mean, uh, so let's this, start yeah. with the Kubrick films. Um, Watched a lot of Kubrick. This, so you, yeah, it was uh, good for my soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clockwork Orange is one of my. Um, it's my favorite film that he he, he yeah, did. Never drinking milk again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I got to tell you, I think uh, a lot of people talk about 2001: A Space oh, Odyssey. Blew my mind. Really loved it. I think it's the most overrated oh, piece of no, garbage no. ever created. I was. Bob, Bob, we got <laughs> this is Bobby talks. Talk gonna, to me. Explain talk. to me what what it is that people that I'm missing. What is the disconnect with that film? I I just like a movie where you have to interpret it yourself, kind of like the same way with A Clockwork Orange. So I really like A Clockwork Orange. Don't get me wrong. I love the message that it sends that that this man was changed by society. Right? Sure, he wasn't. Uh, uh, Malcolm, McDow- uh, Malcolm McDonald's character, right? right. Is it McDow- McDowell? McDowell, yeah, yeah. Yep, Malcolm McDowell. His, his character, he yeah, at the end of the movie, right, he overcomes this this need to, like, attack people because he gets sick. They, like, right. they, uh, uh, what's the, uh, hyp- hypnosis, right, yep. or something like that. And, but I like this message that, but that's not really him. He was changed by society. And that's, and that's, so, and that, that's kind of more clear, right? But you watch something like 2001 A Space Odyssey and, I really don't know what to take away from it other than, like, I don't know what I just watched, but I'm somehow perplexed and moved by it. Like, the star child looking over the earth at the end, it's just like, rebirth? Yeah. What? I don't know. But the music, too, the scoring. The scoring is amazing. I will give you that. I will say this, though, is that, and it kind of goes along the lines with those um, Malick films. Where some of her, some of them are great. Terrence some, Malick. Terrence Malick. They're they're hit I haven't or miss. seen a lot of his films either. I gotta get. I gotta. Uh, a Tree of Life is. Uh, Never seen Tree of Life. That's an interesting one. It's probably my favorite one of his. Uh, but a lot of that's got to do, I think, is Heard because good it's about it. It's because it's been masked by the, maybe the cast that played in that as well. Um, 
I think you had Brad Pitt in that and a few others. But I'm going to add it to the list, actually. You should. Um, but with the Stanley Kubrick 2001 A Space Odyssey, and maybe this was the point, and I've had, I've had people argue that this is the point, what I'm about to get at. In that movie, there's that long scene where we're just kind of going through space, right? Yeah. And yeah. it just drags and drags and drags. Which a lot. one? Is it like that? This the sequence with like the stars and yes. the cosmos? Yes. What? So here's I the thing. I went to another dude. I was I felt like I was on a drug or something. <laughs> I was on I was on cloud nine. That stuff was. It's too long. It is too long. It is to a point where it's redundant. It's torturous, and that's what people. T- that's that's when everybody argues. That's the point. It's supposed to be. It's not just making you feel uncomfortable, but you're also now you're physically uncomfortable because you're sitting there and you're watching this thing. That is when people will argue that that's art now affecting you on another element, another level. And Kubrick was definitely known for pushing the boundaries and limitations of his audience. Absolutely. But my question to you is: Is that does that really make a good direct? Like, is that a what I want in the sense of being physically uncomfortable because I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being motivated to feel physically uncomfortable in the sense of like, I just felt tortured because I'm like, this is still going on. Like I had my thought, it was, it was deep, it was perplexing. And then I got past it and I'm like, this is still going on. I, I, I almost wonder, um, like, like you said, that's probably by design, but I think if you're having a reaction to it, whether it's in the moment at all, negative or positive, I, that is definitely what Kubrick wants. If I think he doesn't want you to be in between. I think he either wants you to love it or, or you hate. hate it. I think he probably hates those people that are in the middle. In the middle, because even if you hate it, you're having a reaction to it, and that says something. Um, you know, another good example recently that we could probably talk about is um, Midsummer. Yes, I, I was going to. Go ahead. Um, and Midsummer is another one of those long movies where there's just these long, continuous takes, and it and it's two hours and 45 minutes, which is an insane runtime for, Especially a, for a horror film. Yeah. But somehow it manages to layer upon layer and, like, add subtext and context, and then it, it broadens into a wider scope. And in a sense, you could almost say Midsummer was inspired by the – uh, you probably could. 2001, in a sense, in that you have to make up your own mind about what you're witnessing. But I feel like those scenes are more um, visually direct. Like, the message is more direct of why it's physically uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, versus, like, a 2001, it's like you're you're left to your own thoughts, which I guess is maybe is the genius and I of think, it. And I think that's why I liked it so sure. much, is because it wasn't telling me what to think. It it let it let me decide. And I and I and people and uh, um, don't like ambiguity. I think people like clear-cut answers. Okay. So uh, I, I know when the movie, uh, another recent example, uh, Gone Girl. Okay. Uh, have you seen Gone Girl? I have with uh, uh, ben, ben Affleck. Affleck yep. And Rosamund Pike. David Fincher directed. Last movie he directed, actually. Which is incredible to say. He's got a movie coming out with Netflix uh, next uh, year. Or, okay. No, in December. I don't know. It's called Monk, I think. Who's in it? Gary, Who's it? Gary Oldman. That's all I know. That's, that's really all you need? Um, yeah. But anyway... But that movie ends, and there's not—it's not wrapped up in a tidy bow. Like you're watching the movie, and the and the the main conflict may be resolved, but it's not though. And people hate walking out of a movie feeling without that sense of closure. And so, a movie like uh, Midsummer or like Gone Girl or like 2001, and it makes and right, it makes people uncomfortable because they they don't know how to interpret it. Sure. 
And, and I think that's fair to say. I just know that, and I, generally, I'm with you when it comes to those movies. I that, like what I don't know most yeah, of the time, and I like that I have to. Except in Artemis Fowl, when I didn't know what was going on, <laughs> and I still hated it. Sorry. So, bottom line is, Artemis Fowl fans, uh, this is not the podcast for you to listen to. So, I think they're with me. I think they all hated it too. So, <laughs> so there are no okay. Um, There's no Artemis Fowl stands out there. You know, I, you did post something recently though that I, talking about Midsummer. Something that caught my eye about Martin Scorsese, potentially he did an an opening or an intro to this movie. There's a 4K uh, director's cut coming out next month. Now, what is this? I didn't read the article. What exactly is it? It's like a it's like a sixty five page book. It's like a collector's edition of the film, and Martin Scorsese wrote the intro up to the book. Really? Um, and, and I, I don't know what the intro, I don't know what's in it. Um, uh, but what then, an interesting, uh, you right? know, contrast there yeah, for I someone bet. like Scorsese to be on that. Well, and Scorsese is, you know, he made the, um, what was it? The last temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's very biblical. And I think he was actually going to be a preacher before he became a director. Uh, or a priest, or you sure. going into the some type of yeah. some type of uh, fatherhood, father priest, clergy, yeah. yeah. And so I think he looks at a movie like Midsummer, and he definitely sees the religious implications in it. Yeah. And he probably, I, I like I said, I got to pick up a copy and read what he says, but I'm sure he probably is tying those connections to it in some in some way. And plus, Ari Aster is just one of those emerging filmmakers that um, the boost of someone like Scorsese is going to get his, you know. It's going to rise his status a little bit. Uh, a little bit? Yeah, I would say so. Anybody, that, Anytime you can have your name attached to one of the uh, the greats. Um, He's actually working on another film right now. It's going to be four hours. Ari Aster is. A four-hour horror film. That's clearly just going to go straight to some streaming platform, right? I don't know. no theater is going to... We'll see. Outside of these small indies, we'll see. I, I Four hours? Ooh, you're pushing it. Um, I, don't get me wrong. If it's good, I'm all for... I like longer. I do like three-hour films as long as they're, they're done well. Um Okay, so we've kind of set this up, but I want to kind of talk about where we're at right now. A lot of people have talked to me about, you know, what movies are you watching? I got to be honest with you. This is a very hard time. I I already had a stigma before the whole quarantine started with anything platform, streaming device, movies, right? I I haven't found a lot of uh, Netflix originals or Amazon originals, you know, up in, let's say before 2020, that I thought to be any good let alone, you know, maybe it's because of the lack of promotion and I just don't know about them. I'm not, you know, but I have tried a few over the years and I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of that. What was that one that came out last year with Sandra Bullock or a couple of years ago? Um, oh, Bird Box. Bird Box. It's it a poor sh- example. It was shot well. It got a lot of uh, momentum behind it. I watched it because everybody told you you had and, to. And it had the memes and stuff. And it was just like, it was a part of a moment that you just, if you, everybody who was, everybody was watching it. Tiger King. And you felt like you had to be part of the conversation. Sure. And, that, and that's where, it, but it, just Bright. I didn't watch Bright. I, there was another one. I think I made it about maybe 50, 50 minutes of Bright. <laughs> but no, Netflix though is, they're, they're, Yes, uh, some of their originals are not up and then, to stuff. And then you add on all of the Adam Sandler stuff that he was trying. Yes, yes. And uh, trust me, I'm with you. But you got to look at um, recently. They, did you watch The Five Bloods? Spike nope. Lee's new film. Nope. Uh, Vietnam homage, like Apocalypse Now homages in that. Um, but that just released a couple weeks ago, and it's one of the best movies of the year. Really? And I don't. And I'm not saying that just because we're living in a world where we can't go to the theaters and judging by what's in theaters, but. 
I think it is just one of, overall one of the best movies. So if, if that movie was on the big screen, you're saying it would hold up, period. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Netflix is uh, – there are a lot of movies that they're making that would hold up on the big screen. Um, the Irishman. I actually saw The Irishman in a theater, and it held up. And I was like, this is just an excellent movie in and of itself. Um, so they got the right model going. And they're attractive to filmmakers because they give them the reins to make the film that they want. And so when you get that, you get the Spike Lees, you get the Martin Scorsese's, you get the Ava DuVernay's. Sure. And then you get, like, When They See Us, the limited series that aired. That had, that was a four-part miniseries, but that was just as cinematic as anything you would have seen on the big screen. But doesn't it ultimately undercut the very medium that made them fall in love with the art in the first place? So for what I'm as a child, I can remember going to the movies and that being so like uh, such a cathartic experience for me. It's silent. It's a little chilly. You got your popcorn, your candy, this huge screen. You're experiencing something with strangers. Nobody's really talking, but we're all aware of what we're sharing. And now those, even though there's a quarantine here, I understand that, but it feels like the more freedom they have with these Netflix, Amazon, Prime, you know, these, these types of uh, platforms – they're going to kind of gravitate more to that side and less towards these you know, motion pictures that are going to be for the big screen. And I, there's a lot of other variables there. I understand that. But doesn't that hurt their overall thing that made them fall in love with that? Or is it just the time, you know, times change? Well, I think you, that's right. I think we're, we're heading in this direction. We were already heading in this direction. We were, yep. And the, and the, uh, the coronavirus just spiked it up like – no pun intended, but it definitely is now influencing more of those decisions that are being made, right? Because you have um, movies that would have otherwise been released in theaters are now going direct to streaming. So Universal has done a very um, uh, experimental way of releasing their films, like the movie uh, that sparked a huge uproar was Trolls World Tour, kids <laughs> film. And, and seriously, like you never thought that Trolls World Tour would be this trailblazer for um, you know direct to direct to consumer entertainment. Sure. But um, so that movie was released on premium video on demand instead of waiting it out and going to theaters. Okay. When a movie releases on str on streaming or like iTunes in this case, any digital platform, the studios get a bigger cut of the profits. Okay. So $19.99 was the rental cost for Trolls World Tour. Universal claims to have made over $100 million. So Universal gets a bigger cut of that pie, um, but in lieu, it's not going to theaters. Now, the the argument is a big picture like your Fast and Furious franchise, your, your blockbusters, Woman's, sure. Um, uh, those cannot survive on the streaming platforms because uh, for that price because they're not going to make their money back. See, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, they have different metrics for how they determine the su a successful film. So like Irishman, for them to be successful, A, I guess new subscribers, you want sure. new subscribers, and B, how many times was it viewed in a 28-day period? And in that case, it was like, it broke the record. It was like, you know, 85, 90 million people had watched Irishman in, in 28 days. So that's, um, and that's just where we're heading. And like I said, this is just kind of amplified. I think eventually what you're going to see is that um, Disney is going to either buy AMC, Theater Chain, or Amazon's going to buy it, and maybe. And you're only going to see the big, big, big pictures at the theaters, and you're only going to see these smaller-scale pictures like Defy Bloods. Um, example, and, and on to answer that question, to revert back to what you were saying about does this, the medium that they were working in, does it hinder that? Um, Spike Lee made Black Klansman, right? Sure. 
And that movie won the, he won an Academy Award. First time he won a, a competitive Oscar. Yep. He got an honorary Oscar, but this was the first time he won one for what he did. Right. Um, made $100 million worldwide off a $15 million budget. Now tell me, does that sound uh, right in that? Is that successful? That's very successful. He couldn't get to Five Bloods made anywhere else. Really? Except Netflix. Really? So do, to answer your question, you know, no, because if these studios actually cared about these voices and instead of box office dollars and bottom line grosses, which it just is inevitable, that's just you got to make money, right? Sure, yeah. Um, then these filmmakers wouldn't be going there. Netflix was like, "We'll give you all the money you want." But maybe it does change. So maybe okay. So maybe there's another uh, route that you can go with it. Maybe it does give them the uh, maybe they come back with these studio heads and come back and say, "Okay, we'll give you some more of those freedoms again." If you come back and make your pictures here, you know, these big studio pictures and hopefully I guess it's just me. The dude, Martin Scorsese can't even get a picture made. Irishman was a setup at Paramount and then it went to Netflix. Right. And, no. and listen to this. He's also got another film coming out um, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro called uh, Flowers of the Killer Moon or something. Yep. You've heard of it. Maybe yep. you've heard of it. So that um, was going to be distributed by Paramount. But then Paramount balked at the budget, and what did they do? They had Apple came in to save the day, and now Apple ponied up the budget. So now it's going to be on Apple. It's now Paramount is going to distribute it into theaters, but it will be Apple's movie. Does that make sense? So it's going to no, go to yep, theaters. Yep. I think you're going to start seeing maybe more of those partnerships. Maybe th those movies, those small movies, will get made because they're going to have but financial they, backers like that. But there's only so many summer blockbusters. I mean, well, there seems to be a lot more than ever, but there's only so many of those. And I feel like you're going to have a lot of theaters shut down. You're going to have to drive further to go to your to, to the movies, you know? And they're talking about opening drive-ins again, which maybe they're just going to... So those my, are going to be on nostalgic yeah, feel. Yeah, well, the, my thing about drive-ins is drive-ins have been... They, there's been drive-ins every summer. Drive-ins, yep. the drive-ins that are open now have been open since last year. But they're, they're talking about building two oh, more. One more. in Lenaway County, one in... Or actually, one in Adrian, one in Blissfield. I did hear about that. I so, did hear about so that. So it sounds like if those two small cities are talking about getting drive-ins, it's got to be a matter of fact everywhere else that right. there's a resurgence of it. And it's because, right, because of the whole social distancing guidelines. Yep. Um, although I do think it's a little bit contradicting... That you can go to a bar. Well, mm -hmm. I guess now you can't because Whitmer signed the executive order today. But for a while there, you could go to a bar and close counter and yep. spaces, but you couldn't go sit in a movie theater. You know, and I, I listened to you and Matt talk about mask on your in COVID. Uh, talk about that on your last episode a little bit. And it's one of those things where it's um, it, this is that part where I don't. I'm, I, I I've kind of made up my mind now. Um, I'm past the point where we as a country need to. I feel like we're still tipping our toe in the water. We're just yeah, kind of dipping our toe in the water. It's going to get much worse. And it's one of those things where it's like, I would rather them shut the entire country down for- Like Italy. Go lockdown. Totally Italy lockdown. A full a throttle. We'd be done. Four to six weeks to shut it down or let us all go. And what I mean by that is let people make their decisions based on themselves. Because I hate to say this, but it's to the point where- I, I heard your argument on the mask, and I totally understand. There's not really a lot of things that I can say to combat why you should wear a mask. Let me give you only one I can think of, okay? I wear a mask where I go, but there are some places that I don't, and I'll tell you why. I'm getting ready to be in an environment in August, because I'm a school teacher. I've got to go back to be a school teacher, where I have to be around 200 and some kids, right? And you're telling me that kindergarten through fifth graders are always going to have their mask on. They're not going to. No. And it's going to be a point where they're not going to social distance because they're not fully understanding what that means. Yeah. So I want my immune system because I also know the health side of things. I know how the body works on side of things because I went to school for that. So you got to look at your body like this. Your immune system is a bunch of frontline soldiers, right? And if you tell everybody to quarantine, stay in your house, use hand sanitizer, wear a mask every time you go out, 
the one time that we get back to society, your immune system, your frontline soldiers are not going to be prepared to fight. So there are antibodies and there are things that you have got to be training your soldiers every single day while you're going at it. Now, I'm somebody who's taking a cautious risk by saying I've never drank smoke in my life. I'm 33 years old. Uh, the mortality rate of 33 or 30 year olds that are we're low risk. Healthy, we're, we're low, low risk. risk. So we should be out there at movie theaters. We should be out there at bars. We should be out there pushing the economy along. Now, with that being said, I don't want to give it to my grandparents in any shape or form. Yeah. But I also know that my grandparents aren't going to be if they are a quote unquote high risk or if they have immune deficiencies or any of those things that are on that spectrum, they're not going to be out in those situations as it is. So it's, I just kind of wish the country would, the leadership of the country would come together and make a decision as a whole unit instead of 50 different leaders making 50 different decisions. Yeah. So I, that's, that's just my thought process on that, but I don't know, man, I, where are we at with, uh, cause you said it yourself, you think a lockdown number two is coming. What yes. does that do with, or, or, let me ask you this question. Are studios making movies right now? Uh, there's a lot of things that are in post-production. Um, I know they just started back up production of the Avatar sequels in New Zealand because okay. their their lockdown has been lifted. They've been they've done a great job. Yeah, yep. they they got that all under control. And I know that there's a there's a Netflix film. I, I can't I can't I can't say the director's name, but he's an Icelandic director, and they're filming a they're filming a film right now. And they've come up with these very enhanced procedures and protocols to remote film with actors and stuff. So they seem like. That's going to be the new normal. But as far as like, um, I think Mission Impossible is restarting production in September. The Stranger Things season four season is going to start ramping up here again in September in certain areas with new uh, social distancing measures in place. So, um, but we're going to be feeling the fallout of the coronavirus. I mean, thankfully, not thankfully, but a lot of content has been pushed into 2021. Sure, yeah. Um, like, you know, Fast and Furious moved to 2021 next year. That was supposed to be the big summer this year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was coming out this year. Universal had a crazy, crazy, crazy lineup of films. Like, they, if this this was going to be the first year where I thought Disney wasn't actually going to be on top. For oh, months. wow. And, um, yeah, and so that just kind of got all scooted to, to next year. Um, uh, so not very many films are being made right now. So if that's the case, so you, you said that we actually haven't even seen the fallout from this yet. Um, I, I don't think so. I really think, uh, especially once we get to fall and winter, when we don't know how it's how it's going to evolve and how sure. it's going to react in those in the seasonal temperatures and changes. And, and we're already seeing it today. I, I read that uh, Florida, 100,000 cases, single day record today. Yep. Month, this thing started in February, March. Yep. Like we have, it's, it's just going to keep spreading. Um, uh, snowballing. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of things that go. Warner Brothers is very ambitious if they think uh, Tenet is coming out on August 12th. Yeah, so that got pushed back. That was a July, right? July 17th, then July 31st. Now it's August, August 12th. 12th. I, that, that's very curious. Because they're, they're, Christopher Nolan really, really wants, he's that director that like believes in the theatrical experience. He is my dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one that wants to preserve it. And I really think he does want to be the first film to open back up because he wants to, he needs people to rally around it. He, I, I, and, and, but to me, there's something to now that. Now August 12th seems like a, yeah, it seems like a fallacy. See, when I think about Christopher Nolan and just that um, venture that he's trying to attack or take on himself, that's what I was trying to get at is that, I get all of the money and all the reasons why these filmmakers would use these platforms, these streaming platforms. I get it. The point is, though, is that the question I have is what a young Martin Scorsese, Spielberg, um, Malick, Kubrick, would any of these guys, would they have been motivated or some type of as a young person sitting on their own couch watching these films? 
without you, you understand what I'm saying? If you're watching these films from the, the comfort of your own living room, does it lose the magic and the mystique of I can't wait someday to make a motion picture and put it on the big screen? Like to me, it's that thought that drives them in the first place. Right. It's I, not just the medium of making movies. It's the idea of seeing it in this larger than life fashion. And I think that also in those people that you listed, it really also depends on the filmmaker because, um, uh, I'm sure Spike Lee would have loved to have made the five bloods for a big screen, a big theatrical experience. And a lot of these filmmakers are compromising because, um, you know, Judd Apatow is the king of Staten Island originally scheduled for a theatrical release. They're making compromises like, well, we can keep pushing it to next year or we can just give it to people right now. And I love that for now. I love that for now. Yeah, My fear. I don't think, and well, that might be the new normal though. Like there might be small, but you're still going to have movie theaters like for your tenants, for your, yep. Wonder Woman, you know, the, the big, the big stuff. And filmmakers like Christopher Nolan obviously are a dime a dozen because they, um, he's like one of those pioneers. He's preserving. He's, like, yeah. he's really, really trying and he makes original films. He's like one of the only few filmmakers these days that can actually put his name above a title and it can open to $40 million off base, off no existing property. You know who else is doing that right now is Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is really is. making his name for himself. He's transformed that entire genre. Yes. I mean, yes. He, he's making it uh, um, one of those things where like I'm not a... I'm a casual horror fan. I'm not even a horror fan. Like I think I was, I had a buddy of mine. He's uh, Ken Sledge. He was on my second episode. He does a sledgehammer horror podcast oh, cool. and he's actually been really successful. He's had a lot of uh, uh, musicians and like uh, taking back Sunday. He oh, had the nice. drummer of Coheed and Cambria on his show. Um, he, uh, he's doing the, my first ever horror movie. Oh. These guys come on, they talk about their experience with the first ever horror movie, um, which I think is great. But I, I've always thought the horror genre to be kind of, um, uh, I think it's trash a lot of the times in a sense of there's so many people that think they can yeah, do it, it just successfully. Yeah, it just depends on what, what's being put out there, yeah. Yeah, it just gets everything diluted, I feel, I feel like, with everything. But, but. I want to I go back to answer your question about the big screen. I also think it depends on um, how do you want your film to be seen. If right. you want to see it on the big screen, because now what Netflix and the streamers offer is immediate access to millions and millions of homes. So Ava yep. DuVernay... She can make a big budget film for Disney that will be seen by millions of people, and then she can go and try and make a small indie film for them that will be seen by nobody. Right. It'll be seen in the art house theaters. So, like, what's the what's the gamble, right? I take this small art house picture and I put it in a handful of theaters, and yeah, it's going to be appreciated for those people that go out and see it in those theaters, but no one's going to see it. No one's going to talk about it. You put it on Netflix, boom, it's in everybody's home worldwide. So everybody talks about it. Okay, the question is, is that, yes, but it comes back to the thing now, if everybody's doing that, doesn't it ultimately only find its audience in the end now if there's so many choices and everybody's going to Netflix or Amazon? Doesn't it ultimately just find the original audience that would have found them anyways? I mean, it, do you see what you get? What yeah, I'm saying I, see what, I, I see what you're saying, but also it's just the times and it's just that's the streaming wars and like everything and everybody has a streaming service now. And we're, we're definitely getting accustomed to it. And also it's just cheaper families going out to the theater, going to see a movie like that costs money. And it's just easier for a family. Like, Oh, we can rent trolls world tour for 20 bucks. Five kids can sit down and watch it. I, 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 I still, I push back on that. I still say, I, no, I like the theatrical experience. I know you do. I know you do. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to be realistic about what's sure. going to happen because this is going to happen. It's not going to change. You're right. And maybe I'm uh, stuck in, I'm having a hard time with this COVID man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, before we dive into that though, I'm going to make sure that we uh, hit our break. We'll come back and we will pick up where we left off. Cool.
All right, welcome back, everybody, to Bobby Talks. I'm still sitting here with Nate Adams, the one and only, the only critic. You can catch him at theonlycritic.com. Uh, what's your Instagram? Only critic, the only, only critic. critic. All around, only critic for everybody. <laughs> right before we went to break, we were talking about resistance to change, and off camera, I I openly admitted to him that I am having a hard time. I, I'm having a hard time, and I'm somebody that doesn't normally get stuck in my ways on anything, but I went today, I, I went to go get a haircut, and the place I normally get a haircut at didn't realize they closed. And I'm like, wow, uh, this is really affecting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, we're losing a lot more than we're gaining. Yeah, but that's just with the coronavirus. I I met like uh, when we were talking about the theaters and just the entire experience that comes with that. Maybe it's because I am the art indie guy that does like the peanut butter falcons of the world. Yeah, you don't watch like any Marvel, Star Wars films. No, and I see you got really, really excited about uh, – and maybe it wasn't you. Maybe somebody posted it on your Facebook talking about how Ben Affleck is back as Batman. Yeah, that doesn't excite me as much as yeah. Michael Keaton being back as Batman. Ben Affleck is not the best Batman. I don't know why no, people. No. I, I, I think he's on the bottom end of that. Well, and speaking of Christopher Nolan, I you know I'll die on this hill. I think The Dark Knight is the best superhero film. And like, there's no there's no question. Period. And nothing will beat it. Ever. I, I went <laughs> back and watched all three of those during this. And there's just a like it's a perfect trilogy. It is. Um, it's I'm, about as close as you're going to get with anything. It's just like each one is just stellar. Obviously, the second one is the best. Yep, the Dark it is. Knight is the, which is a rare. That's rare in of itself. For a sequel is better. You know, I, I always I think the first one kind of because the second one's great. So good, the, great, but the people, first one's the first really one's good. like people forget how good the Batman Begins was. It's such a great origin story. Yes, and right, and 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 I, you're right. People. I don't because like even Dark Knight Rises gets a lot of. I love uh, the Dark Knight Dark Rises. Rises is good, but yeah, people forget about Batman Begins. It's like, dude, don't forget where you came from. No, I agree. And you know what I think it is though? I think it's the performances by Hardy and Ledger in two and three are just so great. I think because yeah, because it was was it, it was uh, Gillian Murphy was the Scarecrow. Sicilian Murphy. Sicilian Murphy. Yeah, I love him. Ah, he's good too. But yeah, it's no. And then yeah, Liam Neeson as Raja Ghoul. Yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't own the screen quite like Hardy or a Ledger does. You know what I mean? So I uh, yeah, dude, I was with you though. The origin story I think is great. I I had to go back and watch those, but I know they're um, good. They're great. So something interesting you were talking about off camera here was that you said for a lot those of the that don't know, there's a 90 day window. Okay, and you said this is going to change. Explain to the listeners who, what a 90-day window is in the film world and what's going to change about it. So 90-day window is the is the theatrical exclusivity that a film has. So a movie like Tenet opens in theaters on August 12th. Um, the National Association of Theater Owners has it outlined that that film must play exclusively in theaters for 90 days prior to being available VOD. I think it's actually 75 days for a digital release, and then two weeks later, you can get a physical copy. Okay, so VOD is video on demand. Correct. Okay. Um, so you have uh, so that's 75 days for a digital, and then 90 days for physical media. So that window has been in place uh, actually not that long, since like 2010. Um, when it, So the studios, and it was actually much bigger before that. Dude, you remember seeing like a movie like The Sixth Sense? Yeah. Uh, would came out like in uh, like <laughs> August. You wouldn't see it on DVD until like March, dude. Yeah. It would take forever. And, and to me, there's something about, and this is what I was talking about, about um, losing something. I feel like we're losing something. Is yes, I, I do in a perfect world. I don't know why I'm clinging to the old model of theater. Then you wait, then it hits the pay. Well, it's the whole streaming, it's, it's the whole binging model. Netflix yeah. has changed our we want it now, now, now. We want to gobble up content, we yep. don't want to wait, we want it now. But they throw you so much content at you that it feels like you're watching something different than I'm watching now. But- yeah, but now, but here's my argument for sure. the against the ninety day window. I know that you're you kind of like that whole thing, but here's here's the thing that's why I think it should be shrunk. Okay, so 
it's been shown studies. Um, a movie makes eighty-five to ninety percent of its gross in its first three weeks of release. Okay. You, long gone are the days of Titanic, where each week it's going to make more money than it did last sure. week and play for twelve weeks at number one. That it, does that will never happen again in our lifetime. Really, mark my words. I think. Oh, well, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you for the most part. I think you might have some movie that could be made that captures the hearts of, like, a Passion of the Christ. That- well, I think the last movie to do was Avatar, and that was number one for eight weeks in 2009. I remember following that very closely, and it kept making more money. Which is strange, because... That movie has probably not... I love Avatar, don't get me wrong, but it has not held up as much as some totally, other things. Totally agree, but go ahead. But, um, but so... The worry there is if you shorten the window to 45 days, which is what I think it actually should be, is that theaters are worried that if they know a movie is going to be available 45 days after it's in theaters, people are not going to go to the theaters theaters. and see it. They're like, well, I'll just wait. And, you know, with the whole COVID thing, we've seen that that's not true because um, The Invisible Man played in February and then COVID happened and then it was on streaming three weeks later. And people people knew it was in theaters. Maybe they got it because they knew it was coming early. They they purchased it. But if it's a big enough movie, like if it's a James Bond movie, if it's uh, something that you really want to see like a tenant people, people, people are, are gonna, gonna people go. are gonna go see it they're not gonna wait if they want to see it they just are gonna want to see it but the other argument to it is is that a movie that opens for one week and tanks and bombs why does that movie have all of a sudden have to sit on a shelf for 40 days 50 days before it's release and can't make any more money see to me I, I agree with you i totally agree with you and that's why i don't think there should be a one-size-fits-all to it but with netflix that- tried to do it with the irishman and the theater owner said no netflix was like even the star power of Pacino and Joe Pesci and De Niro and Martin Scorsese could not convince the theater owners to get with the times and like, dude, people would have went and saw the Irishman in theaters if it was coming out 45 days later on Netflix. I, I swear. I swear they would have. You think they would have? Yeah, and I think it would have made a sizable chunk of change. I guess I'm going to have to finish that movie. <laughs> I got 15 minutes into it when, for opening night. It's 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 uh, it's a depth. It's it's dense. Yeah. Because <sighs> I got to tell you, man, like I, uh, and I did start it at midnight and that was stupid. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was dumb. It's three hours and 20 minutes. But it, it kind of goes back to my beef with Goodfellas. Oh. Which, again, or maybe... Which one is the Goodfellas is the one? Yeah, that's Scorsese. Ray Liotta, yeah. yeah. That's the one. Is Pesci's in that, right? Pesci's in that. And that the whole movie's narrated, right? Yeah, it's got the narration aspect to it for it, sure. Yeah. I just think it takes too long to get to the meat and potatoes of that movie. I I, I mean, Scorsese likes to draw. He, and I love Scorsese. He lets shots lingers on longer than they need to, and it happened in The Irishman, like certain things. But I think that's uh, he's that's his thing. It's what he likes to do. But I much, 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 much prefer The Departed. Departed's good, yeah. Then the Goodfellas. Yeah. I'll Probably t- like Wolf of Wall Street more, too, don't you? Oh, I yeah. love Wolf of yeah, Wall Street. Wolf of Street. Wall Street's amazing. I'm, I'm partial to that, too, because of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and the entire sure. cast and all the cameos and whatnot. But I prefer those, like, over a Goodfellas because the Goodfellas is just like a slow burn and it's building, and you really have to hang on to that to get to the the to the end that, that has that. And don't get me wrong. There's always a payoff. And, right. I, and I know it was coming with the Irishman. I just started it too late. I'll, I'll finish it. And I'm sure I'll love it. But that was always my beef with the Goodfellas. Is it's just like, dude, this is just taking too long to get to the meat and potatoes of this film. So, right. Um, but anyway, so sticking on point though, is that I, I don't, I just don't think there should be a one size fits all. I, I, I used to think that when you had to wait for something, like I remember the anticipation of something like right now, I'm, I feel really stuck with there's no trailers on TV that I, I look forward to. So seeing. like this weekend, Hamilton's coming on Disney Plus, and that's like the closest thing to like the summer juggernaut blockbuster. Right. And, but that's on streaming. That's but, on Disney Plus. But yeah. how long has that even been promoted? 
Oh, a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, because they just made the decision, I think, like in May. Yeah. And I know what you're saying, right? You're not you're not seeing the, the uh, hype. I miss, yeah. I miss going to the Oscar movie runs, right? From October till February, where you see all those great movies, right? Yes. And seeing all the blockbuster films that are be coming out in the summer. And you're like, Dark Knight, July, it's going to happen. You get your asses ready. Yeah. I miss the six-month buildup. I, it's torture, but it makes it so much better when you get there. Yes. You know what I mean? Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. I completely, there's the different seasons. Yeah, exactly. Like once um, Toronto and Telluride, those film festivals start, you know, that's when it's like, okay, this is Oscar season. This is prime, you know? Yeah. And I... When I went to Toronto last year for the first time, that was when I like got to experience firsthand. I'm like, this is the height. This is what it's going to be. Like, sure. and I like was in part of the Aurora, and like I was at the world premiere of Uncut Gems. Oh yeah, I remember that. Um, and I met Adam Sandler, dude, and I was like, I saw the whole cast. They walked right by me. It was nuts, dude. Like being in there and like you experience. I mean, not get off a tangent in a tangent, but I'm you know, no, but ahead. just like that was just that's where the theatrical experience feels like it's gonna it's preserved, right? And a star like Adam Sandler, right, can get like a small A24 film into bigger theaters, and I think that made a like $50 million, which for an indie distributor is a lot of money. Yeah, and I think that... So maybe that's the other solution to getting those films made, too, is you get, like, a decent star. You probably have Plus, to. Plus, Adam Sandler is a comedian, and people, I think, were interested to see what he could do in a more serious role. But, but it's funny, because it's not the first time he's done that. No, and he's great. He's a good actor when I, he applies I love himself. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love, the Meyerowitz stories, yep. English. Um, it, it Just when he does, like, you know, his Grown Ups 2, or does The Ridiculous Six or Murder Mystery, that's sure. when it's like, oh, okay, he yeah. just wants to... I don't know. For money, for a minute there, it felt like money grab. But somebody, I think it might have been the, the rewatchables, was talking about um, how he just likes making films with his friends, right? And that might be to the core, just who Adam Sandler is. Some are going to be good, some are going to be bad, and that's just how it is. Yeah. So yeah, when he gets together with his friends, you get a movie like Grown Ups. But see, on the other hand, you get a Seth Rogen, <laughs> and he gets together with his friends, and they make This Is the End, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes, I love that. Movie. Not yeah. you know, they get together and they make a movie, and it's actually funny. So I don't know where the. <laughs> I think the difference is in the capabilities of writing a smart script, and, and less maybe is more. More sometimes, yeah, yeah. Michael Sarah stole that movie. I yeah, thought. yeah, for his brief cameo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but getting back to the whole idea, though, of I just feel like so there. You know, that's why I love there this. are movies coming out. There well, are things happening, just but, not. But the idea of if, like with the rewatchables, this podcast that you opened up my eyes to. And if you guys don't know what it is, the rewatchables is a podcast with Bill Simmons. Uh, there's Chris. It's on the Ringer Podcast Network on Spotify. Yep. Yeah, and it's great. And it's just basically they go back and they'll watch a movie that they've loved. And they or, have categories, and they it's really really it's solid. Really stuff. Really great. But what I love about that though is that is um, the second watch is almost the anticipation if you loved a movie in theaters, the second watch is almost as exciting as the first. And that's why sometimes you, me, I know we both do it. We'll go and watch a movie again. We'll buy a ticket to go see it again on the big screen because we, we can't wait to see that movie again. It was so good. Yeah. When that movie leaves theaters, back in the old days, you used to have to wait. Like you said, if you, you know, The Sixth Sense, you had to wait from August to March. And well, and the thing is too, like a movie like Sixth Sense is that this is pre-internet era where you can now go online and have a film discussion about it. People can yes. like go in depth on ch discussion boards. You couldn't do that. Yep. And obviously the big twist at the end of Sixth Sense was that Bruce Willis character was dead. <sighs> And so people had to go back and see it because like, okay, I got to see how they pulled this twist on me. Right. And so nowadays you don't have to it do gets, that. Yeah, people can have the, they can leave a theater, get on their phone, tweet about it and start an instant thread of discussion right away. And that, that part I do love. I do love that, 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 that connectivity there. I do love, I wouldn't want to lose that. It's just something about, I don't know, man, maybe I'm just stuck and maybe I'm talking too much on this, but I just, no, I no, just no. think yeah, there's something. Valid. There's just something to it, and I don't know. I just uh, I, I hope we somehow can preserve maybe a better marriage than what we have right now because I also think, like you said, it is cheaper right now 
you know, than taking a family of four to the movies. But I, that in itself is an event. But I also think there's too many streaming platforms now. You know, it's just like you've got Netflix and Amazon Prime and Quibi, Disney Plus, Apple Twivy, Apple TV Plus, oh, YouTube. Quibi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the Peacock's coming out. HBO Max just launched. It's going to get to a point where it's like you got to pick and choose. I think I think most people will have three. Three it, is the is the magic number. Why did HBO Max launch and then only do it on so many platforms where you can't? A lot it's of not even can't. on Roku, right? Yeah, I know. Roku. Um, thankfully, I have a PlayStation and I can access it from PlayStation, but I mainly get through my Roku, so yeah. I, I find myself. Being like, oh, I don't want to turn on HBO Max. I got to go through the hassle of turning on my PlayStation and yep. putting it on. I want it on the Roku. But, I feel like yeah. if it had a bumpy launch, you had to start on Roku. If you can't get it on Roku to start, then you shouldn't even be launching. Correct. That's um, the way. I, I, I agree with you. Especially HBO. You know better than that. That's just how. Yeah. I feel. Come on, HBO. But anyways, yeah. So let's talk about. So we we mentioned a little bit about state of the or state of the movies as we know it. You said it's going to ship. Kind of, it's going to look a little bit different going down the road. You feel like the fallout? We haven't even seen the fallout from this yet. Yeah, I uh, like I said, because um, like AMC theaters is like on the verge of bankruptcy. You know, they're losing cash flow like hand over fist, and there's rumors circulating that like an Apple or like an Amazon could swoop in and buy it. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if like Disney, with as much money as they have in their pockets, buys an AMC theaters, and then they just put mo- all their movies in AMC theaters, and that's just all you see forever. It's just the big. Um, and Disney knows what it's doing. Disney knows. I, I think if we're talking effective strategy, Disney with Disney Plus now, they know what's going to be viable for Disney Plus, smaller scale, you know, Artemis Fowl, sure, like crap. And then they know like the big pictures, like your Mulan, your Lion King, your Toy Story fours, all those, and they know how to market those, and they know how to make those events because if you looked in 2019 every disney picture that came out made a billion dollars so like they know how to make the event picture um they have that right formula and now that they own 20th century fox now 20th century studios they're really really going to know how to you know market the adult driven stuff too and it makes you uh what's interesting about that is that when you were mentioning them buying amc theaters it only makes sense. i mean that's just that's just a theory no but let's say they did it only makes sense that you get it at the beginning stages the middle stages and the end you've got the production studio side of things where you you know yeah essentially cutting out getting, the middleman not the panty distributors because you would nope. own the theaters yeah you you're all of the profits which i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it's definitely like you said it, it's could be the direction and that's we're where theaters are getting scared about this premium video on demand experiment like the trolls world tour analogy sure. that i used earlier people yep. they're getting scared because now they're seeing that oh the studios are making money they don't need it they're going to cut out the middleman but couldn't that movie just be right place right time i think so too first movie we're it's an all, exception to the rule we're all like you know because i think even like after plus the, it was a sequel to a very very popular film yes you had trolls and then you had the i want to see King. the numbers for king of staten island before trolls and see how king of staten island did and i i don't think it i i, I it did not make a hundred million dollars like trolls because trolls had a built-in brand recognition and ip property to it yeah and kids Kids are stuck at home. But here's the thing, though. I think uh, all that movie really has going for it is the name Judd Apatow attached to it. I mean, did you see it? No, I haven't. It was actually pretty good. No, I'm sure it is. But I'm saying, as far as is Pete Davidson a household name? No. No. Is Judd Apatow a household name? Yes. I say he's a household name in moviegoers' minds. But I would say to the casual. But you see, you see from the from the director of Knocked Up on the top of his and four year old version, like, okay, well, maybe I'll fork over twenty bucks to this. Does that cross over to a and that's a comedy dad that has? Maybe, maybe it does. And that, and and I will say, it did feel different. Like I was watching King of Staten Island, and I really felt like 
like I was like, man, I do. I did wish I was in a theater laughing with people sure. and experiencing the jokes. So you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did enjoy it. Does it have the heart behind it? Like a lot of Apatow. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, well, and my 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 big issue with Apatow is that he doesn't know how to cut his films because he, he makes movies that are like two hours and seventeen minutes. Yeah. But you know, um, and I don't know if you listen Funny to the, people listen to the podcast, but Matthew brought up a good point about how he's like, you know, life is messy, and I make my movies how like my art reflects my life, sure. and like. Sometimes a conversation goes on a bit longer than it needs to, or a scene stands on longer than it needs to. And you know, his his justification is that you know life is messy. And it's like you know, I respect that. Don't always agree with it, but but um, that goes back to the Stanley Kubrick or Kubrick argument right, about just right. like that's how he portrays it. He feels like okay, I mean, that scene is like you know what, this is going to go a little long on purpose because sometimes. Whether that that's just him justifying a really long scene, who knows? But like, I, I can agree to it. Did you see the movie uh, A Ghost Story, the David Lowry film with Rooney Mara and uh-uh. KCF? Like, no. did, have you heard about the scene with the pie? No, dude. Please. Okay, there's. I, I you want to talk about uncomfortable? Oh, there is okay. a scene in a movie. It's an indie film that came out. Uh, at, if I don't know, 2014, and it's called a ghost story. I am not kidding. They put the camera on Rooney Mara, and she just destroys a pecan pie. <laughs> she eats an entire pecan pie in one take plows it in this is like six minutes the camera stays on her it doesn't move they show the whole thing whole thing it's not jump shot no she's eating it she's <laughs> plowing this pot and like you want to talk about being uncomfortable sit there and watch that for six continuous minutes just <laughs> mowing down so, so i'm just saying <laughs> so what is the point of that what is the point of that it's art i can't defend it because you know it's their interpretation what they want to do um you know my my i had a professor in college you know we'd write i had a script writing class and, you know, she never really could grade us because she was like, you know, this is how you see it. Like, how can I grade some, How can I grade what you're trying to do? Sure. And I understand that. And, I, and to a certain extent, so it's I, like, I, I can't see what I. But here's my question to the artist there. What is our art for? And I guess the answer is it's for multiple reasons. One, maybe the artist there never meant or cared for anybody to ever watch that. Maybe it was a therapeutic release and that's their way of expressing I can't say anything to that. Like my buddy just showed me an album of a gentleman. I forget the name. It's, it's, uh, it's, I've lost it, but he, uh, it was a concept album. Basically a lot of it is written word, which means there's not a lot of rhyming that takes place throughout the album. And the album was about him losing his child or I'm sorry, his wife. Oh, and the, the issues that I took with the album is that there's no contrast and never, it, it feels like it's a therapeutic release for this gentleman in, but it, it, for the audience member, unless it, it, they, it, it doesn't. So like it, you felt like it was a good release for him, but it didn't work for you. Yeah. Because there's nothing. That's how that, I felt about honey boy. Oh my gosh. I, movie. <laughs> I, I will push back on that so much. I, it felt like he was making a movie for himself and I respect that and it's good, but it did not, I did not connect with it. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's more of the, uh, what's your relationship like with your father? I have a good relationship with my father. See, in mine's at, at best. My, my father wasn't there for me growing up. Sure. So, so to me, you, there's right. a little bit more. That so you connected with it. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. And so that's I, fine. So yeah, there is that. Is So, I, but that was kind of going back to this was that I felt like, okay, I just, there's nothing there. So it made me ask the question, should this even been created? And I guess the answer is yes, because like you said, Honey Boy didn't work for you, but it did for me. And maybe I'm just not the audience for that. And that's what happens a lot. And like, but right, my somebody question, might, yeah. My question ahead. is though, is who the hell is the audience for Rooney Mara eating six minutes worth of pie? Who's the audience? Yeah, there? yeah I don't know. I, I can't, but you know, here's the thing is that I, I'll never forget it. <laughs> 
And so maybe that's, it's seared into my brain. I will never, never not remember that. But would you ever go out of your way to say you have to see this piece of art? Um, yeah, probably not. It was, well, maybe. <laughs> see, that's, that's where it comes in. I'm like, there's a lot of good stuff in that film and like a lot of, you know, and, but yeah, I, the six minutes. How uh, about props to Rooney Mara, who's a petite thing, not a big girl. Destroyed that peacock. Just destroyed a peacock. Destroyed it. <laughs> wow. Like, because her husband dies. In the film, which is what the ghost story is about, and um, he kind of like haunt, he like he has a white sheet. It's it's a very weird film, but it's weird in a good way. And I like weird. I love weird. I, 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 and so a neighbor brings her the pie, and then she sits, and then just like out of the blue, the camera and the ghost is standing in the corner. Okay, he's with the sheet, watching her <laughs> eat the pecan pie. I gotta look it up. I, I gotta see what, how what, long that what was. What was the name of this movie again? Uh, it's called A Ghost Story. Okay, I think I I think I can visualize the. Uh, um, the the cover, if I if I remember correctly, yeah, it was just the it was just the guy in the in the sheet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, weird is good. I agree. Weird can go one of two ways, though. Like I like a, a movie to kind of have quirky and different characters, um, protagonists and kind of antagonists. It's fine as long as it's not um, servicing that so much to be so different. You know, because sometimes you can do it too much. I uh, I was listening to your last podcast where you talked about uh, your top ten movies so far of the year. Were you surprised? Uh, or were you- I, I was a little bit, yeah. yeah. And to be honest with you, there's some of there I just haven't heard of yet. Yeah, I haven't heard of, and, and I think a lot of that's got to do to uh, I'm a basketball coach, so the you know January and February I don't see a lot of films because I'm constantly in that world. Right. Um, and as soon as that ended, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. School ended on March 13th. That was the last day. That was a Friday. That's when Governor Whitmer you know, shut everything down in the state. <laughs> I went and saw the way back that Friday. Our, our, my season ended on Wednesday, the 11th. I went to school on the 12th. I didn't go to school on Friday, the 13th, even though everybody else did. I took a me day. I went and saw the way back at like the one o'clock showing. And then by the time I got out of there, they had shut everything down. Yeah. He probably knew it was coming too. Like I had to get to the theater. <laughs> yeah, I did. And it was last fun. thing I saw was bloodshot. So you got me beat because the way back is a much better film. It was a much better film, but I will say this. I, I feel, um, and that's just, then that's a small scale project that could have easily went to a streamer too. It could have. I actually thought it might um uh, not with the uh i thought they were going to just start dumping all of these movies and they did they start putting them did the way like back the way back came out early like really they, they, they got as soon as theaters closed they came out early oh i yeah. missed that i guess i didn't realize that yeah, yeah, yeah well i uh i i will say this i i enjoyed that movie i did that made my best of the year so far yeah i know it did i uh i i i think maybe by comparison to everything else maybe that's that's why i felt um I do think it was a good movie. Don't get me wrong. I just uh, I kind of got a well, little. You're a coach, so you can ride. You know, yeah, yeah. But you're not an alcoholic, though. But I'm not. But one of the. But that was kind of the thing. It was like, okay, we get it, guys. Like I felt like they just spent one scene too many showing us him drinking and overly drinking. It was a metaphor for uh, Ben Affleck's metaphorical comeback too. I did not know that because he was going through a divorce. And, um, and this obviously was from this, Gardner? Yeah, Jennifer yeah. Gardner going through the divorce. All the stuff with the Batman, Fall of the Justice League. I mean, all that negative online, you know. Live by Night wasn't that big of a hit. He directed that after Argo. I saw I liked it. I'd defend it. Um, a lot of people didn't, got trashed. So, like, he just kind of went in this slump. And I think that this movie was supposed to be his, like, redemption. Okay. And he's slowly back on the... Back well, on now the, that's good because I, I, I enjoy... I so I think it was that. probably cathartic for him. Yeah, in a way, that's good. So maybe that's the best thing to do is to jump into a piece like that, like you know, like a Shia LaBeouf did. Just jump into what scares the hell out of you and see how right. you feel on the other side of it. Yeah. So no, that's good. Um, well, I'll tell you what, man. We're down to the final five minutes here. What's going on? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> 
I don't know. Uh, I listen. I did watch Hamilton. Um, I did get to see it. Uh, the, the the film staged production um, when they had the original cast and anybody that has any, you know, this is a good introduction if you don't like theater, like because sure. I think this has something for everybody. Okay. Um, and it's just so important in these times of like racial and political uncertainty that um, you know Lin Manuel Miranda does this terrific, terrific job and took these bold liberties because it's about Alexander Hamilton and our one of our founding fathers, and he tells. He tells the story of the framework of our country being built, okay. but he uses it by casting non-traditional actors in the roles. Right, Thomas Jefferson's played by Divi Diggs, who is an African American. Lin Manuel Miranda is, um, you know, is, is Latino, and so it's so important and such a crucial musical because it paves the way for a new era of diversity and inclusion in theater. So it's very important, I think, for this moment that we're living in that th- this musical that came out you know, um, five years ago is still as relevant today as it was then. It has not aged a minute. It's two hours and 40 minutes, but I, let me tell you, two hours and 40 minutes has never flown by as fast as it does in that. I've heard that it's one of those, um, pieces of art that you just don't want to ever stop. Right. And I, it's very, very, I'm very grateful that Disney is releasing it, um, uh, to the masses cause they were going to originally release it in theaters. And then I think they saw that with everything going on COVID, it feels like a public service in a sense, because sure. now we can just, it's just going to be beamed into our homes. Uh, and probably they were looking at their slate and they probably needed to figure out how to, you know, they paid the money for it so they can, they can just, you know, they paid $75 million for it to, wow. to acquire it. So obviously wow. they wanted to make some box office, but dude, this is going to lure subscribers like crazy, but, um, I really, really recommend it. It's one of the best things I've seen this year. Um, and you saw the, like you said, you saw the, and one- I saw it live. Yep. I saw it here. Uh, I was actually on opening night when it premiered here in Detroit. First time in Michigan. Wow. Um, and it was, what a was, hard ticket to get. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was very, very fortunate. And I was, uh, I was like in the third row. Um, and I was right up there. I could, I could see it. I could visualize it, but not in the, but this is important because it's the original cast. Sure. Um, you know, not many people get to claim that they have seen the original cast. My friend, Matthew, who's been on my podcast did get to see it with the original cast. And wow. He reminds me frequently. <laughs> He's got uh, it on your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, you, you don't get the up close shots like these, the camera angles, the way it's framed and the way it's filmed. Like you can see the sweat glistening from faces. You can see certain facial expressions. Um, the way that the, the filmmaker, uh, takes one shot and he cuts to another shot it adds new context to the song so even that you, if, that you would never have gotten inside a theater inside a theater yep. um, I'm not saying it doesn't beat the live experience because it doesn't but this sure. is the closest thing we're going to get but um, it's just incredible it's one of the best film Broadway shows that I've ever seen done and it's going to set the bar I think but um, that's just in time for the holiday weekend and I think um, if you got some time it's definitely worth the check I mean that's that's about it and listen to Picks and Pans and check out the website for reviews you know we're my I man, a lot of content. My man is a busy, busy man. He, <laughs> he, like I said, he's the host of Picks and Pans. He is constantly doing his quarantine catch up, which I, yeah, I, I yeah. encourage you guys all to do. I, uh, if we do get hit with another lockdown, it's going to be one of those things. Quarantine that, catch up part two. Yeah. Quarantine catch up part two, but it's going to be one of those things where uh, you're going to need entertainment. And what better thing to do than go dive go back this, in the archives? It's already there. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we've all missed. And people ask me, like, you know, how did I never seen some of these movies? And sure. it all comes down to accessibility. Yep. We have movies now that we never had access to at our fingertips. Yep. It's so easy for me to put on my Roku and go into uh, the Apple Store, and I can run it on my phone, and then it beams on my TV. That like movies like uh, Dial M for Murder. Um, I wrote, love that movie. You know, yeah. you know, Alfred Hitchcock, classic movies that like. 
you the only reason you the only way you could watch them back in the day was if they were coming on TV and you like caught it at the right time. Real window. Like, real window, yeah. You'd be like, oh, it's gonna be on at eight PM, I gotta set aside time for it. You don't sure. have to do that now. Now I can just bump it into my foot. So like that's the main reason too, because you know, you grew up, I grew up, you know, we didn't, you know, I didn't have access to some of this stuff. Yeah, I had my yeah. local video store, they didn't carry all these old movies. So um, I'm making up for lost. And time. if and if they did, they were scratched, delete you know, there was you had to you know, put the toothpaste on the back of the CD trying to get oh, that. Maybe that yeah, was only me. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, the, definitely uh, the accessibility. I can totally get on board with that. I um, I just want to say thanks for being here, man. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Totally appreciate it. It's, uh, it's always uh, fun when the two of us sit down. Next time, hopefully, we can actually talk more films, more, you know, something hopefully that's going to be coming up on the big screen here soon. Hope so. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, like, it's so uncertain right now. We don't we don't know. Hopefully, we see Tenet on August 12th. If not, well, I don't think we'll see movies till Christmas. Fingers crossed. Christmas. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Talks, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Always more to the story. We're going to put a pause on this story for now. We'll see our man down the road. We'll see you down the road. Enjoy.